Let's pray before we begin our Father in heaven, Lord, we, we praise you this morning because you are good and your mercies do endure forever. There is nothing we can do that can separate us from your love. We are not worthy yet. You make us worthy. You redeem us. You fill us with your spirit. How can we thank you, Lord? How can we thank you? So we come to hear from you, Father. Give us a word from heaven, Lord. We come to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, Pastor, or yeah, last week, Pastor challenged, Pastor Jeff challenged us to read what, what chapter of the Bible? Do you remember? 1 Corinthians 13, how do you do? Okay, don't answer. <laughs> I did, let's just say about four out of seven days, so if I were getting a, pass, a grade, I would probably fail, but you know what I found helpful was to read it in different um, versions, Bible versions, because you know how you start reading the same thing over and over and then your mind starts to wander because you think, okay, I've heard this before. And so by reading different versions, different parts of the verse pop at you. Isn't that truth? So I love what the message said. I'm just gonna read the first half of it. It says, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith that says to that mountain jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. I don't know about you, but sometimes those words seem a bit frustrating, don't you think? Because I know that I'm not hitting the mark all the time. I try, I give to the poor, and then I try some more and tell others about God and his love. And then I try a little harder and sacrifice a little so that others can have. But this chapter tells me that even that is nothing if I don't have love. So as Hathaway would say, what is love? Love, according to this chapter, should be the foundation to everything we do. And if that's the case, then where do we get love from? How do we even have or know that we have love? There's a story we all know very well, and it's found in uh, John 4, which gives us the answer. And so we would like to go there and start uh, for verse one. It says, 
Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed, and I need you to mentally highlight that word there, he needed to go through what town? Or country, Samaria. So he came to a city of, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. Okay, so let's take a break there for now. We can already see that there's different characters in the story. The first characters we see are who? The Pharisees. The Pharisees are the first people that John writes about in this story. And as Jimmy Fallon would say, there's a little controversy. The controversy is that the Pharisees are pinning John the Baptist and Jesus against each other. In this sort of twisted, invisible uh, competition that they created themselves about who has baptized the most. Now the verse is very clear to say Jesus himself didn't even baptize anyone. So this is fruitless, really, because John the Baptist, thousands, Jesus, zero. But for some reason, they feel the need to create this competition about who is baptizing the most. So Jesus says, I want no part in this. Time to go. So he and his disciples left Judea and head up to Galilee. Now if you look at a map, we have Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, straight up line. And it was a known fact that the road from Jerusalem to Galilee was made much shorter if you just cut right through Samaria. However, devoted Jews avoided this route at any cost and they would choose to go the longer route because they did not like the people of Samaria. And like was a very, very small word. They hated the people of Samaria. So to us GPS-loving, car-driving people with very comfortable shoes, this does not mean much. But when you have no car, no donkey, no horse, and you have very uncomfortable sandals to walk on, very, very uphill, uneven, rocky terrain, a shortcut means a lot, doesn't it? So, the Jew said, no thank you, we'll take the long route. So the story goes that when Babylon seized the southern kingdom of Judah, they took captive almost everyone in the country. However, they left behind all the lowest 
classes of society because the Babylonians just simply didn't want to deal with the poor people. And so you have all these poor people that are left behind and they start intermarrying with other non-Jewish immigrants that came into that area and eventually the region of Samaria was formed. They were considered a hybrid religion. They were a little bit of Jew, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and what they did is they would take everyone that came and their culture and their religion and just start assimilating everything. Oh, we like that about your religion. Let's just, oh, that sounds good too. Let's just try that too. And so that became their religion. It was not a pure Jewish religion like the Jews prefer. And so in their mind, in the Jews' mind, Samaritans were simply those people who diluted, or in their, in a better way for them, was they corrupted what the Jews had, or which was the law of Moses. Samaritans also had a teeny tiny bad habit of harassing the Jews who were traveling through Samaria, Samaria you know, through um, on their way to Galilee. That didn't help them either. And so when they decided to build a temple, Jerusalem was not the place for them. They decided to build it on Mount uh, Gerasim and that did not go well with the Jews as well. So needless to say, Oh, and by the way, the Jews burned that down. So needless to say, the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other at all. They did not trust each other. They would avoid each other at all costs. But Jesus says, what did he say? He needed to go through Samaria. The disciples probably found this the best choice but they probably like the idea of not having to walk that much so let's go through Samaria and Jesus sends them to get some food and behind he stays because he had an appointment to keep this was a huge risk for Jesus but saving his reputation was never Jesus's goal See, only men who were looking for women of questionable morals went to this particular well at this particular time of the day. It's believed that it was about noon and women never went to the well at noon and never by themselves. They came earlier when it was cooler and always in groups. So the irony, of course, is Jesus did come to meet a woman of questionable morals, but not for selfish reasons or evil intentions, but to offer her hope and a future. And now because this woman shows up at an unusual time and all by herself, it gives the impression that she is either trying to hide from someone or she is already an outcast in her own society. So needless to say, an outcast in the most outcast or castaway societies at the time 
That is perhaps as low as one can get. And at the time, devout rabbis did not speak to any woman in public. And any woman that included their wife, their sisters, their daughters, and much less, never would speak to a woman who would go to the well at noon. No siree. Some rabbis would even literally close their eyes if a woman was approaching them. So it was a fact that Jesus, to even speak to this woman, was a huge deal in this society, in this community. A huge departure from the norm. Insanity, really. So verse 9, let's go back to verse 9. It says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. Now she knows, she knows what's happening. She knows the rules of society. Why are you asking, why are you even talking to me? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew... If you knew the gift of God and who is it and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? And she loved what Jesus is just kind of teasing her, a little breadcrumb here. If you knew and just letting her kind of get the idea of where this conversation is going. He's not judging her. If you knew who's talking to you, you would ask him. Ah, I love how he starts that conversation. And so when the woman heard those words, living water, she immediately thought of a body of spring water because to her, And to her people, living water was simply a body of spring waters because they appear to be living, you know, because they bubble. So she's probably thinking, I don't know, is that where you get your water from? You know, but you have no bucket. Where do you get it? How do you get it? You you know, scoop it up. Like her mind is probably, okay, you've got water. So whatever understanding she has of what Jesus just said is now somewhat piquing her interest. Probably not where Jesus wants to go with the conversation, but it's catching her attention. And that's all Jesus needs. Catch our attention. Maybe because she doesn't want to come to the well ever again alone. Or maybe she doesn't want to face the critical eye of anyone else in her community. Maybe, maybe she's beginning to understand this is taking a serious turn in the conversation. Whatever it is, something begins to stir inside of her. And the woman says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Like, are you bigger than Jacob? You know, because Jacob was a big deal to her people. Um, So she's probably thinking, should I even be paying attention to what you have to say, right? In essence, are you more important? And she's trying still to figure out what is happening. But Jesus is patient 
and he stays on point. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me that water. I want some of that, that I may not thirst again nor come here to draw. So she still does not get it. She's like, give me whatever that is. I do not want to make this trip down here at noon ever again. Can you imagine how uncomfortable her, her life must have been for her to desire this so badly? She's still more concerned about the idea of never having to come again she wants just a sliver of joy in her wretched in her in her pretty wretched existence so jesus takes a more direct approach verse 16 jesus says go call your husband and come here now to us this may sound rude but the honest truth is that in her culture that was the norm a man was not allowed to speak to a woman in public unless her husband was present. And so he says, okay, go get your husband and we'll continue this conversation, right? So now she's faced with a decision. Am I truthful or do I make something up? 17, I have no husband, she finally admits. And I love this because Jesus affirms her truth. Now we know that is not the complete truth but Jesus affirms it anyway. Isn't that beautiful? He'll take whatever we give him. He says, you have well said, I have no husband. But now he can't leave it at that, can he? Because when we go to Jesus, he takes us as we are, but then he starts working inside of us so that we can get better and grow and so he says, for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. He affirms it again. Jesus knew her lifestyle needed to be addressed. She can't go anywhere unless that is addressed. So now she has to make an honest decision. What Jesus is trying to get her to do at this point is to acknowledge her sin. And then she would need to decide, okay, do I follow the true God or do I keep my old lifestyle? So she replies, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain and you Jews, you, you Jews, say in that, that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she's at this point, I don't know, maybe it got too personal too fast. So she changes the, the conversation rather quickly. So let's go back to that conversation about you being a Jew and me being a Samaritan woman. See, she brings up the continual conflict between the two and Jesus will not have it. Nah, that's not, that's not 
about, this is not about to turn into a political discussion. He had more important things to discuss. So 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor on Jerusalem, on that mountain, worship the Father. Now listen, 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true, worship, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I love this, listen. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. He's everywhere. It's what he's telling her. He's everywhere. He is not on this mountain or that mountain. He is everywhere. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, when you worship, you worship at home, you worship in your bathroom, you worship at work, you worship in your car. God is everywhere. And then we also worship at church. But God is spirit. And that is an amazing, incredible revelation Jesus just made to her. That's the kind of stuff rabbis talked about behind closed doors where, by the way, women were not allowed. And Jesus went to the lowest of the lowest of the lowest and just revealed to her, listen, this is the plan for the future. Mm. That is deep theological speech Jesus just gave this woman. So Jesus first makes a drastic distinction between Jews and Samaritans. Now he doesn't do it to be rude. He simply is saying, listen, there is a distinction because God is a God of order and this is the way he wants to be worshiped. So if you wanna worship in God, God in spirit and in truth, you have to listen to what God wants you to do. And the way you're doing it is wrong, he says. He just wanted to be clear. He says, salvation only comes from the Jews, not the Samaritans. So in essence, he just revealed to her the story of the gospel in a nutshell. And the good news is that because of Jesus, the person standing right in front of her, there's no need any longer for rituals. No need for holy temples here or there because God is everywhere. Jesus made that possible. What an amazing revelation he just made to this woman. Worship then is a decision. It's, it's a mental decision, it's an attitude, it's a posture. It is our heart and our mind making a decision for Christ. He says, God is looking for people who will worship like that. So do you get a sense that he's sort of recruiting her? Because he is. He is saying, do you want to be counted among those who will worship in spirit and in truth? 
do you want to continue to do it the wrong way? He just gave her the greatest sales pitch you could ever have in the history of the universe. Do you want to be counted in those who truly worship God? She replies, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. So she's done her homework. She's been listening. She's been paying attention. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So the Samaritans believed that Messiah was going to be the one who would come and teach them a better way of worshiping. So Jesus affirms once again her answer and finally says to her, I who speaks to you, I'm he. Do you wanna know where love comes from? It's in that verse. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. Now picture that in your mind. She doesn't need it anymore. Her thirst has been quenched. She has all she needs all of a sudden. She leaves her water pot behind. She's not thirsty anymore. She went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now remember, she doesn't want to say too much because she is very much an outcast in her own society. So she's like, listen, they're not gonna believe me. Who am I? Could that be a, could that be a Christ? You know, he's, he's been very honest. He's told me a lot of things that no one else knows. You know, maybe come see it for himself, for yourself. Her status in society is not that great or, or trustworthy, so she has to be very careful how she approaches this situation. But now the picture is amazing because she turns around and goes back to talk to the same people she's hiding from. That is the power of being filled with the water, the living water that Jesus offers us. We get full of what the Spirit fills us with. And then our lives overflow and the people around us begin to notice that change. Isn't that the, isn't that the truth? We are filled with the fountain of living water and then we overflow into our lives. And there's an awesome story that Shelly, I would like for you to come up she shared at first service and I asked her if she would come and share it with us because she took up the challenge that Pastor J Jeff gave us of reading 1 Corinthians 13 every day. You've done better than I have. And so I would love for you to share what happened after you took up that challenge. Absolutely. Thank you, Pastor Kayla. And, and I just want to say how meaningful this message has been. Mm. Um, I don't know, church, how you feel, but are we not all 
the Samaritan woman. Amen. Um, in our own way, and Christ is interacting with us, and he's feeding us that well of truth. And um, it, it, it just such a beautiful message. And so I want to share with you a testimony of um, some... Uh, some time that my husband Tom and I have been spending in the Word and in, in reading 1 Corinthians 13 and really looking at what Pastor Kayla was talking about of how do we know that we're loving the way that God wants us to love. And this story connects so well to that because it is only through the indwelling of the Spirit that we know that we're loving correctly because it's God's love coming through us. It's mm. not our version of love. Mm. So on this particular day last week, we were rushing around and I was getting close to uh, work and my husband was getting close to work and as I kind of arrived there I said we had not read to each other as we had before in the peace and comfort you know of the home so I said oh we didn't read yet um, let me call him real quick and we're gonna read it to each other so we that's generally what we do is we read it to each other we don't uh, belabor too much on it past just reading it absorbing it and listening to it but on this particular day when we read when I read it to him I ended the conversation by saying to him you know, honey, when we think about this, uh, this is not just a calling for the way that we should be treating each other. I really feel this is a calling for the way we should be treating anybody that we come in contact with. So today, whether it be your superiors, whether it be your employees, whether it be your peers, or anybody else that you encounter that God's challenging us to um, have this level of love um, for all of these people that we encounter. So we said, yes, yes, that makes sense. And, and we kind of hung up the phone. Well, little did I know and isn't it true how when we open our lives to Christ, how he will prepare us mm. for the day that we have ahead of us mm. before we realize that we need to, to be prepared for that. And I walked right into the doors of the office and was immediately met with uh, really incredible challenges that very much challenged me around how do I respond in love? Um, and how do I really display what uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is describing here? Um, so as I worked through that, that issue, my, an employee that I was working with on it, I actually just felt very compelled to stop and tell him, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out how to respond to this and do this in the right way. I have to tell you that I was just having a conversation with my husband, Tom. We were just reading 1 Corinthians 13 to each other. And I don't know if you guys think this is funny, but I thought it was funny how if you have any spiritual background at all, when someone says, hey, I was reading such and such text to you. So I said 1 Corinthians 13. Um, uh -huh. You see the eyes kind of like, oh, I should know what that is. I should know what that is. You know, so I quickly would follow that up with, you know, love is patient, love is kind. You know, oh, yeah, 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 that yeah, one. yeah, got it, got it, got it, like that, you know. Uh, and so I got that, and I said, I just encourage us to keep thinking about that as we think about how we need to respond to this and things like that. And, um, and he came back right away and said, oh, you have no idea. I've been thinking about what you said, and it's been so amazing. And here was this blessing that God wanted my employee to have, but... Consequently, the blessing was coming back on me um, as he was impressing me to do this. And, and for whatever reason, the whole day, I went to the next person and there was something we were talking about. I said, you know, I've been reading, almost verbatim what I said, I've been reading with my husband, etc. And that individual said, you know, my mother-in-law just sent me that text. Mm -hmm. And now you're telling me about it. I know God wants me to understand this better. And I'm like, praise God. I mean, it, it was really phenomenal. And then towards the end of the day, as I was um, running between meetings, I saw a colleague of mine and you know, uh, you see a, a look on a face and a strained, kind of a strained look. And so as I was going from one meeting to the next, I, 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 st I stopped by her there and I said, 
hey, you know, how are you doing? And she, oh, yeah, it's been, it's tough. Usually I'm so excited during the new year, and this is, this is a really tough beginning of the year for me. I said, I'm so, I'm so sorry to hear that, but I just have to tell you, my husband and I, we've been reading 1 Corinthians 13, and, you know, I wouldn't, with every other person I told, as soon as I would say, you know, love is patient, love is kind, and, oh, yeah, yeah, I got, yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> with her, as she listened very intently, and I said, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, nodding, and, you know, love is patient, it just, you know, she, there was never any reaction of, oh, yeah, you know, and so. No affirmation. <laughs> yeah, no affirmation. I'm like, okay, so I kept going, you know, and I said, anyway, just be encouraged by that, and off I went to my meeting, and as I turned away from her, I immediately said, oh, Lord, you know, I think I've just gotten myself a little bit too excited about all of this, and I, I probably went and sprang this on somebody who I maybe went past what you were asking me to do, because there just really wasn't any like, oh, that's beautiful, I just heard something like that, you know, and things like that. And off I went for the rest of my day. When I came back in the next day, um, I was rushing yet again to another meeting and happened to pass her in the hall, and she said, do you have just two minutes? And I said, sure. And she grabbed me aside and she said, I just want to thank you for just taking time. I saw you were rushing between things and you decided to stop and tell me what you told me. She goes, I went back to my office and I looked up that chapter you were telling me about and oh man, was that exactly what I needed. Mm. And, um, and I just, the fact that you would have stopped and cared enough about me to take a minute to tell me that. And I thought, again, right? Praise God. Wow, here I was thinking I was somehow mm. overstepping my bounds or had just gotten a little too excited about all of this. And yet, absolutely, that was something that God had wanted her to hear. And we just don't, we don't know. Mm. Um, allow the Spirit to move you. When Pastor Kayla talked about how do we know that we're loving the right way, it's, it's God in us. It's mm. God through us compelling us. I can tell you quite frankly, since that day, I haven't felt so compelled to run around talking about that. It doesn't mean that it's not a good story to tell, but that day there was something that he wanted yeah. for me to say, and consequently, that evening, I was back home with Tom going, oh my goodness, you can't even believe what happened. This is what I did the day before, and now when I went today, here's this conversation mm. I have, and praise God. And so it has edified and blessed our family, I would say doubly, even for whatever blessing it had for other wow. people. And that's the way, you know, God works. Amazing. So. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. you listen, I, yeah, why not? <laughs> I think it's important to remember, I love what you said, that the next day I didn't feel compelled to do that because that is what God does. Every day is new. And when we meet him in the morning and say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? It's going to look different than the day before, because God is not boring. God is not boring, I tell you. And so my prayer for our church is that we would be a place of love. And where do we get love? We cannot ourselves birth love. We can't. We have to go to the source of love. We have to go to the fountain, the living water fountain every single day, every moment, and then get full with that living water constantly. Out of that will overflow, our lives will overflow with the joy, the hope, the gift of salvation that we feel ourselves, our lives will be a testimony of that to others. We won't really have to try that hard, right? You just have to 
say, okay, God, this is what you want me to do? All right. I'm just letting you lead. Let's stand and pray. Mm -mm. Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for reminding us that you are the source of living water. You are the source of strength, the source of joy, the source of grace, the source of love. You're the only one that can give all of that. Father, I pray that we will have an unquenchable thirst for that living water that you offer. That every day we will wake up and we will not be satisfied until we are on our knees begging you to fill us with the living water. It is my prayer today for each person in this room and every person listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.